The following podcast is intended for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should not be substituted for professional medical or psychological advice. Before beginning or changing a treatment plan, please consult your local healthcare professional. another fancy episode of biopsychosocial my name is jordan i'm the world's okayest nurse and i'm kayla a therapist what makes it fancy i don't know oh. <laughs> okay i was looking for another adjective do we want to say hi and thank you to our patrons first yes we sure do so we have our newest patron beth Thanks, Beth. Thanks, Beth. And we have our loyal and true patrons, Jill, Alexis, and Brian. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. We love you. Uh, So this episode, um, we did an episode that we found the subject matter on uh, through a Google search. Yes. We were just, we were looking for our next topic. Yeah, we FaceTimed. We were FaceTiming. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, let me Google. And we found the horrible thrill killings uh, that Leopold and Loeb created back in the 1920s. This was very Chicago. It was a moment. Um, I watched a History Channel documentary that made me feel like I had a substitute teacher in fourth grade. I watched a PBS documentary. That made you feel like you had a substitute teacher in fourth grade? Yes. Fabulous. More like um, we had a, a teacher who was supposed to be teaching us civics. Mm-hmm. You remember this? Yes, guy. Yeah. And he, I mean, God rest his soul, he would put on the same documentary every time, which was about the Iceman killer. God bless. And then he would go talk on the phone for the entire class period. I think we had a different civics teacher. I had oh, the, maybe. Yeah, I had a bald guy. Oh, no, I, I had a formerly retired teacher. That unretired? That unretired. Which is always a bad idea, by the way. Was doing real estate also. Okay, we have a renaissance man here. (laughs) And I think my sister and my cousin, my cousins had him before me. And they're quite a bit older than you. Six and nine years older than me. Okay, so so that's a long time. Um, Do you, have you ever had like the stunning realization that your teachers were like not that much older than you in school? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or you thought they were old and realized that they were younger than you are now? Yeah, like 21, 22. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, (laughs) and I'm in my 30s and I could in no way be in charge of a room full of chitlins. No. So we have here Leopold and Loeb, which, by the way, I had to back up the documentary a bunch of times because their names sounded so similar. Yeah. Um, Nathan Leopold, born in 1904, and Richard Loeb, born in 1905. They were young, they were brilliant, they were murderers. They were wealthy. And they were, yeah, I forgot rich. Yeah. I forgot rich. (laughs) I forgot rich. I, this, their names remind, kept making me think of um, Kate and Leopold. I was going to say the same thing to you. (laughs) And actually, because I I look things up, whenever we're doing a topic, I use the voice search on my Fire TV to find, like, a documentary. Uh And so I... I said to the Fire TV, Leopold and Loeb, and Kate and Leopold came up. I 
<laughs> I was like, well, I mean, I was thinking of that, but no. Yeah, that was like one of the very outlandish romantic comedies of the late 90s. Yes. It was a moment. Um, so this happened in Chicago. Of- Chicago. There's another one in Chicago. Our last one was Chicago, too. I know. Really not a good showing for Chicago. In the 1920s, which is giving me Chicago vibes. Mm-hmm. And they talked about the Cook County Jail, too. So that was also giving me Chicago vibes. Yes. And it was in the Kentwood District, which was a bougie neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, where Nate and Dick, as they were called. Nate and Dick. Ew. Um, were born and raised. Wait, I thought the last one was in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're okay. right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, because I was thinking West Philadelphia, born and raised. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, squirrel. Uh, they were born, uh, Nate and Dick were born to rich families. Actually, Richard's father was the vice president of Sears Roebuck, aka Which Sears. My grandfather, whenever, <laughs> when I was growing up, my grandfather was born in 1925. And uh, when I was growing up, if he was driving us somewhere and there was someone on the road that was driving poorly, he would go, Where'd you get your license, Sears and Roebuck? <laughs> <laughs> so I still say that. Now. Yeah. So Richard Loeb's father just gave out driver's license yeah. before. Um, and Leopold, uh, Nathan Leopold's father owned a paper company, Dunder Mifflin. Dunder Mifflin. Yes, it was Dunder Mifflin. Um, the boys, like, weren't really friends per se until later on in high school. They, like, ran in the same circles. They were in the same bougie neighborhood, went yeah, to the same schools, the same but they weren't friends. They were both in college before so um Loeb was 14 when he graduated high school and matriculated yep. at the University of Chicago and Loeb did one did so one year later they were only um Leopold was six months older than Loeb mm-hmm. and so they were both in college in their mid-teens and, and they, that's how they met each other yeah Leopold uh, graduated at 17 he had a 210 genius IQ and Loeb was no slouch with an IQ of 160. We do know IQs are bullshit, but it was in the documentary. Um, and For reference, middle, the middle of the IQ scale is mm-hmm. 100. Mm-hmm. For uh, Standard deviation is 85 one way or another. So most people fall in the range of 85 to 115. Yeah, Forrest Gump was 75. Mm-hmm. Lives in my brain rent free. So they were, they were no slouches. Leopold was multi was a multilinguist and a bird watcher. He mm. ended up graduating from the University of Chicago. He only spent a year at the University of Michigan, as which is where Loeb graduated from. Um, is still the youngest gra- uh, Loeb is still the youngest graduate of the University of Michigan. 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 I wrote this in my notes, and I had to think about this. So Leopold graduated college at seventeen. Loeb graduated, I think, eighteen or not soon thereafter. Skipping grades was more of a thing in this era, yeah. but I think now they've realized um, emotional growth and maturity is very important. So you just have literal children graduating college and don't mm-hmm. have the uh, social skills to really uh, move about this world right. effectively. Hence, we have murderers. Leopold was an ornithologist. He discovered a bird species and taught bird classes. Yes. Yep. There was like some sort of warbler that he yeah, hun- some sort not of hunted, but like bird watched. Yep. He was a warbler hunter. So they became close at the University of Michigan and developed an intimate relationship. You know, you know. Which leads us to believe if we just let people be gay, we would have less murderers. But anyway. Possibly. Mm, maybe. Uh, so they started a fascination with crime. So it was Loeb in particular who mm-hmm. had the fascination with crimes. Those who knew them both were surprised at their friendship because Loeb was magnetic and charismatic. Mm-hmm. And 
they said in this documentary, and dazzlingly handsome. They looked the same. They looked the same, and they were not attractive. Like no. maybe in nineteen twenty-four. They I were mean, both B minuses, C pluses. Nothing to write home. About. I know. I couldn't tell the difference between the two of them. Uh, Leopold was the know-it-all who was kind of a jerk, mm-hmm. but he idolized Loeb, and who in turn loved the attention. But the, one of the guys that was interviewed in the documentary said that they each sensed another predator in the room and were drawn to each other, which I thought was an interesting thing to say. Hmm. So they had started, Loeb was like, like we said, he was obsessed with like all sorts of criminal activity. Mm-hmm. And they had a secret pact. Richard would have sex with Nathan if Nathan came with Richard when he did his crimes. So it started with small acts of vandalism, stealing cars, arson. Cheating at bridge. That was their very first foray, which is so 1920s. They stole a typewriter. Yes. Richard suggested murder and Nathan egged him on. And there was a... So Leopold was also obsessed with Frederick Nietzsche, OG toxic man. Yeah. Who's... Big thing, Uber something is something or other. I didn't bother. Ubermensch. Yeah, Ubermensch. Which is like the big, big strong en- man. Big dick energy. Yeah, big dick energy, basically. Saying that if you were a superhuman, you could do things that were immoral and get away with them because you were just that good at it. Right. And so they really thought that doing these crimes, they would never get caught. Yeah, great minds could overcome conventional reason and morality. So do we want to talk about the the crime itself? Yeah. The perfect crime they thought that they could admit. And I feel like we need the Ron Howard. They did not commit the perfect crime. (laughs) Uh, So the perfect crime. Yeah, they started with vandalism. They didn't get enough attention, which I feel. Yes, it's a vibe. We're an air and a fire sign. We get that. Mm -hmm. So they decided that they needed a foolproof plan to kidnap a rich boy from the neighborhood, kill him, and extort money from his family. Mm Mm-hmm. So the body of Bobby Franks was found May 22nd, 1924. Mm -hmm. He had been missing from his Chicago neighborhood from the day before. There was a ransom note sent to his parents. Mm -hmm. He was bludgeoned with a chisel. They jammed a rag in his mouth to suffocate him. And they poured acid on his face and genitals to try and disguise his features, stripped him of his clothes, and left him in a culvert where he was found, found. So these assholes planned for six months... Mm-hmm. to do this crime. Very premeditated, but they didn't have a particular victim in mind. They no. just... They made aliases, opened bank, fake bank accounts, rented a car under an assumed name, and practiced their ransom note, and then picked the victim. It's giving me John Bonet vibes. Mm. Mm. This is... um, Yeah, I mean, uh, murder is sometimes a crime of opportunity. So this was like part premeditation and part opportunity. Right. And actually part of the reason that they were able to convince Bobby to get in the car with them was because he was Lip's cousin. Right. And he had been to the house to play tennis multiple times. Um, They actually considered doing it to Loeb's brother, but decided that that was indeed a bridge too far. Oh, okay. That's, that's where they draw the line. Apparently. Bobby Franks, who was 14 years old, also Loeb's neighbor, was walking home from a baseball game, which she was umpiring, as you do. And they offered him a ride. It was only two blocks. He initially refused, but then got in the car. Um, we don't know who actually killed Bobby, because right. there were accounts saying one was in the backseat and one was in the other backseat. But since they looked like the same freaking person, nobody could tell who was who. Gagged him. Oh, they went. <laughs> they decided they needed to dispose of the body at night. So they hung out with Bobby's dead body in the car and went and got hot dogs and root beer. Yes. As you do. As you do. So they drove to a marsh in Hammond, Indiana 
disposed of him, did everything with the acid, and then called Mrs. Franks and said that Bobby was kidnapped, mailed the ransom note, buried his clothes, cleaned out the car. So even though he was already dead, they were trying to extort money from Bobby's family. So they said that he was not dead to try to get the ransom money. So by the way, Mm -hmm. they were looking for ransom money from this prominent family. Okay. Leopold's family was worth $4 million in Mm -hmm. 1924, which is $57.8 million today. Jesus. Loeb's family was worth $10 million in 1924, which is $144.5 million today. So, you know, they were really hurting for cash. This is like when Winona Ryder stole things. Yes. Yeah, it was just... Well, she was studying for a role. As you do. <laughs> Method as fuck. Um, also, his their alias was George Johnson. Brilliant. Just really into the penis names. We probably thought they were so clever with that. I know. I have a whole... So on the documentary that I watched, they, they had a... Apparently, they published... Well, I don't know if this was published or if it was just for the documentary, but it looks like it was like published somewhere back in that time. But anyways, it's a step-by-step of the crime, where they went. It's like a map of mm-hmm. the crime. So they started out um, with phone calls made from the cigar store, and they had previously bought acid in the same area, the hydrochloric acid. So they kidnapped Franks, Bobby Franks, mm-hmm. on Ellis Ave. They concealed the body in, with the body concealed in the car, they drive till dark. Sorry, can't really see this. I'm having a hard time mm-hmm. reading it. They begin removing his clothes. They hide his shoes and belt. They hide the body in a culvert um, where, by the way, part of like the linchpin of how they figured out who it was, was that Leopold dropped his glasses. We'll get into the glasses. Right. They make a call to Loeb's home. Mm -hmm. They burn Bobby's clothes in the basement of Loeb's home, carefully wash all blood from his um, from the hired car. Mm -hmm. The typewriter is thrown from the bridge into near Lake Michigan. Troubled into troubled water. Oh, the bloody robe that Bobby was wrapped in was burned further down the road near Lake Michigan. They throw away the bloody chisel back in the neighborhood where they picked Bobby up. They return the hired car. And that's it. That's oh, no, I'm sorry. They and then it says Leopold seen with two girls in his car at 1030 p.m. And that's it. Because one of the um, alibis that they had given was that they were driving around together trying to pick up girls. And the girls were like, no, we don't have sex with you, which is like funny to me. And also, I think there was a pretty clear hint that they were into each other. Yes. Which doesn't mean that they couldn't have been into the girls as well. But like. Right. But but they were not. So they so they do the murder. People go nuts because a young boy was missing and was found dead. And holy shit, there was apparently nothing going on in the 1920s. We needed to talk about it. So they were huge fans of the attention. Uh, Leopold went on with his business and Loeb fucking just talked to the cops. No one asked him. No one, no one at all. Loeb's like, you know what? If I was going to murder somebody, be definitely that little prick, which was like a direct quote. It was like when OJ wrote the If I Had Done It book. Mm-hmm. Sir, cut your this losses. This is uh, textbook sociopath behavior, right? Mm-hmm. They need to brag about what they've done and how they almost got away for it if it weren't for those meddling kids. If it weren't for those stupid glasses. All right, so that nerd Leopold left his glasses at the crime scene, and apparently it had a very unique hinge. Apparently he had a big-ass head. <laughs> And only three big-ass-headed people in the area of Chicago had a had the specialty 
uh, rims. So the other two people with the big heads had alibis. And the third pair of glasses belonged to Leopold. So they brought him in for questioning and said he lost his glasses bird watching, you know, as he was a wobble watcher or whatever. Wobble. 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 Um, he oh, so he's like, I dropped him. And they're like, show us how you lost him. And he was like, I can't. I can't. No. <laughs> no. So this whole thing could have been avoided if they had like one of those strings that you put your glasses on. Mm-hmm. So they planned this whole cock and bull thing and said that they had such big dick energy that they could make the perfect crime and they couldn't even fucking get it together with their glasses. No. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Loeb's ID. Yeah. And they ID'd Loeb. Go ahead. At some point, uh, Leopold, when he's being questioned about the murder, this is how much of a sociopath he was. He said he wasn't concerned about it. He said, it is as easy to justify the death as it is to justify an entomologist putting a beetle on a pin. Well, then. Yep. So they found the typewriter that they stole from a frat house, by the way. Um, Rude. We know right. those frat boys love typing on typewriters. Yeah, you know, they were writing their murder mystery uh, <laughs> novels. So they found that, you know, they wrote the ransom note on it. And the alibi that Leopold gave said he was driving around in a car that had been getting maintenance the day that right, the right, murder right. was done. And the chauffeur was like, yeah, I'm not saving this guy. They were probably douche canoes. Uh, Loeb cracked first. Then Leopold was questioned and confessed they were both unemotional and showed no remorse and they turned on each other right quick they did of course they always did the in not investigation but the lead prosecution was robert crow who was an irishman they made a point of saying that he was an irishman okay um and he had a political agenda kind of because Mm -hmm. he was planning to run for mayor so he was like this is the case that's gonna get me yeah he was going for the death penalty Yes. And then uh, the Loeb family, who had money to frickin' burn, hired Clarence Darrow, who would come to fame for the case in Memphis, uh, where uh, it was the argument whether or not evolution could be taught in schools or not. Mm-hmm. And he was in favor of evolution being taught in schools. So He was an interesting man. I actually, was. I have some notes on him, um, in addition, that I, I found out after I watched this documentary. Yeah, they, Crow... Now, I always want to say, like, Russell Crowe. Robert Crowe. Robert Crowe. Maybe Russell Crowe's, like, uncle or something. You know, all those Irish people are related. Wait, is Russell Crowe Irish or is he Australian? He's Australian. (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe his ancestors were part of the penal colony. It could be. (laughs) One of the 19 crimes that'll get you sent to Australia. Australia, yes. Huge fan of the wine. So the boys gave all the evidence, in fact, that the facts that the prosecution needed they were like, oh, yeah, we'll tell you the whole thing. Let's just put ourselves on the hangman's block, the gallows here. They, it made the front page of the New York Times three days in a row. So there was like no understating how big the, this case was at mm-hmm. the time. And one of the things that came to prominence was the idea that this was a result of loose morals. It was a time of short skirts, jazz clubs, lots of liquor. The crime was seen as the fruit of the jazz age. There were movies and unclean literature, probably talking about those, what we call giallo novels, those detective novels and stuff like that. Too much prosperity, indulgence of children, too much modernism, overeducating our children. Like, hate when that happens. I mean, I can see overindulging children being a bad thing, but overeducating them? Come on. You can never be overdressed or overeducated or too early. Well, you could be too early for me. I know, but I'm here anyway. You don't care. (laughs) 
So they weren't even trying to find these people innocent. They were just trying to make them not die. Yeah. um, And Daryl was very anti-death penalty. Yes. And he was known as the attorney for the damned because he had gotten several people off from the death penalty, except one. Um, He had lost one case and it haunted him. Oh, big feelings. They actually changed their plea on July 21st, 1924. They changed the plea to guilty. And the thought behind it is the judge would decide their fate rather than a jury. And pretty simple. It's easier to sway one person than it is to, to sway and the, 12. The, ju- the jury would have been swayed because of all of the media coverage. Sure. They would have been. I mean, people had. They um, Darrow went out and queried the general public or his paralegals did, and sixty percent of them wanted to see the boys hang sure. for their crime. So yeah. it was bleak. If Nobody they likes a rich white boy. Had a right. So Darrow an, is an interesting figure, right? So like we said, he was anti-death penalty. He mm-hmm. was very hate the sin, love the sinner. He believed that people committed crimes because they were desperate, had poor upbringings, etc. Um, and that there was little free will involved in the commission of a crime. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the death penalty shouldn't be a thing. Okay. So his father was an abolitionist and his mother was an early supporter of women's suffrage, to give you an idea of like where he came from. He went from a corporate lawyer to a labor lawyer. He was a union lawyer. A union. I was going to say a union rep, but a union rep and a lawyer are two different things. Okay. But anyways... Um, He defended James and John McNamara, who were accused of the L.A. Times bombing in 1910. And he, I I can't remember if it was during that trial or a different one. He was accused of bribing the jurors. Really? So he was, or his team was, and it wasn't just him. So he, at that point, had to go from a labor lawyer to criminal defense lawyer. So that's how he ended up where he was at the time. And Leopold and Loeb were both horrified because he came into the court looking completely disheveled. And these were two young men who were dressed to the nines all the right time. Now. And they're very expensive. They showed them wearing the fedoras and the wool peacoats yeah. and you your know. usual douchebag. Yes. They tried the insanity plate. That didn't work. Yes, they brought in alienists, as they called psychotherapists yeah. or psychologists at that time. They, William Randolph Hirsch of the newspaper fame tried to get Sigmund Freud to come in and vow the case, but Freud could not do so due to illness. He's like, sorry, I'm too busy sexualizing my female patients. I can't come in. <laughs> yeah. I'm too busy making everything look like a penis. But that was the time, around that time, the 1924 to 26 time, the general public wasn't really aware of the work that Freud was doing. You know, mm-hmm. Freud was from Austria, so yeah. he was over there doing his stuff in Europe. And so this was the first that the general public kind of heard about these methods and the psychoanalytic theory. And, you know, this was around the time where things were changing in terms of how we dealt with mental health. And prior to this, we were, you know, if someone was mentally ill, we were throwing them in a prison or an asylum and just kind of forgetting about them. Whereas Freud was like, no, no, there's like a reason why people behave this way. It's true. And we can address it. Right. Rose in Titanic was a little more progressive. She had already heard about him in 1912. There we go. See? Well, she was wealthy and from England, too. It's true. And an OG queen. So no women were allowed in the courtroom. Yeah, so it was too much for their sensitive minds to deal with. Yeah. And Darrow's closing arguments were 12 goddamn hours long in the middle of summer. Yes. Three days long. He, He... You couldn't pay me. No. No. That would be too much for my sensibilities. Uh, so mercy is the highest attribute. You know, the quote, the take home quote was mercy is the highest attribute of man. And that made the judge cry. So that was a good thing. I also wanted to say that some of the arguments that were brought up for their 
lack of mental fortitude, we'll call it. Good word. Were dysfunctional endocrine glands, delusions. Because the gay shit. Leading to the crime. I mean, they definitely were delusional in some sort of way. Yeah. Thinking that they could get away with this and that they were entitled to get away with it. Asshole. Loeb and not Leopold was responsible and that they had a master-slave relationship. Stunted emotional growth. So Richard apparently still talked to his teddy bear. Both of them were, because they're from uber-wealthy families, both of them were mostly raised by their governesses. And so, of course, they blamed the governesses. They said that they were authoritarian. Abused by the governess. Leopold was sexually abused by his governess when he was 12. The parents emotionally neglected them. You know, because they they didn't come from the silver spoon lifestyle. And I'm not saying, like, there's definitely a detrimental factor to having someone other than the parent raise the child sure. when the parent is in the home. Right. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I'm just, like, floored that they're like, oh, they're privileged, so they're victims. Affluenza. Yeah, affluenza, basically. OG affluenza over here. And the American public... Was not buying any of this no. shit. I I also printed... Um, this was a pretty impoverished time in America. Yes. It was, well, right before the Great Depression happened. Right-o. So we were on the up and starting to go down. So the the cartoon that I printed says, that awkward moment when, which I appreciate we were doing in the 1920s. Was that really from the 20s and they said that awkward yes. moment when? That's that fabulous. awkward moment when, reading the alienist testimony, we find we are all somewhat insane. And so it's like we're a comic sure. of a bunch of people reading a newspaper and they're saying things like, mercy, are we always queer? I've always had fantasies. Gee, that girl is plain. When I look at her, I am emotionally only about four years old. Well, I guess I'm crazy. When I used to be Buffalo Bill, I killed thousands of pesky redskins. <laughs> we don't use that. That aged like milk. Mercy, I was always the beautiful princess when I was a little girl. Same. Gosh, I never knew before that I was kind of nutty. Same. That description fits me exactly. I must apply for admission to an asylum. <laughs> these people were like, if these, if these They're things... Crazy. Yeah, if these things make them, quote unquote, crazy, then we all are, because these are normal things that they're dealing with and are coming up right on. So, you know, so the old judge, Judge Calvary, judged, and he gave um, both Loeb and Leopold life in prison plus 99 years, which we discussed in the last uh, last episode um, to to take into account appeals. Um, due to their young age, he didn't want uh, to seek the death penalty with them. I mean, they, you know, you technically have a fully developed frontal lobe at 18. Sure. I think they were kind of discovering at this point that there are mitigating factors that stunt emotional growth. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't doubt that there was some stunted emotional growth there oh, with sure. both of them. I think more so what we are dealing with is two sociopaths, right? Yeah. These were men who thought that they were above the, above law. the law and the morals of society sure. and that they didn't have to adhere to that. And even if they committed a heinous crime that they shouldn't be held accountable for it. I mean, that's also part of growing up very privileged, right? Because sure. they probably did get away with everything growing yeah, up. Yeah, and didn't have any sort of uh, consequences for their actions. The people were pissed. Yes. They yes. want, I mean, 60% of them wanted the, them to die. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I get it. The death penalty is complicated. Right. And they, I guess this 
area. They hadn't hung someone under the age of 20 something for a hundred years. It had been a century since there was an execution of a young person. Okay, fine. Um, So they were sent to the Illinois State Penitentiary, the same prison, which would never happen now, but I have to assume in that point in time, there were less prisons. Oh, probably. So they just kind of probably put you in the closest one. I think this was before prisons were a for-profit model. Well, yeah. So there are fewer of them. Yes. They went to prison September 11, 2024. Leopold was arrogant as hell, saying that it would be hard for somebody that wasn't as smart. Mm. Asshole. Loeb and Leopold uh, were kept apart, but they still kept in contact. And then Leopold was at long last transferred. Leopold taught classes, was a model inmate, organized the prison library, some Shawshank shit. Which is like... Yeah, and worked in the prison hospital. I organized our VHS tapes alphabetically when I was really little. Does that mean that I would have the same experience in prison? (laughs) I did the same things, too. They actually reunited and opened a school together. Great. Okay, fine. In 1936, Loeb was slashed to death by another inmate, um, alleging that he essayed him. And Leopold was at bedside when he died. Great. Okay. Um, So, which is interesting, right? Because they're bragging about how they have no consequences. When Loeb made these unwanted, alleged unwanted sexual advances towards his name was James Day, there was the ultimate consequence to that. You know, like, it was prison society rules. You know what I mean? Like, very not... I don't want to say it's Lord of the Flies, but it kind of is Lord of, it the, is Lord flies of the Flies. Yeah. There. So, you know, he was subject to someone else's governance almost. And that was the prison's governance. And yeah. the prison says, you do something like that, you get killed. But right. just get stitches, you know. Exactly. And I don't think uh, killing a child really gives you much uh, clout when you're in prison. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, they don't too. like that. Um, so Leopold uh, stayed in prison and volunteered um, to be a subject in the malaria exper- experiments. They He voluntarily got malaria. They injected him with malaria to assess for treatments for malaria, which should they should have just injected him and left him. Exactly. Which I, which is unethical to test malaria on human beings, even if this human being was a particular asshole. Well, the- but it also gave him... Prison population is a protected group now. You can't yeah. do any experiments on them with like, uh, like tons of permissions. Yeah. And it also just sort of gave him a, like it painted him in a better light. And I don't think he should be given that opportunity. Right. He was paroled. And this was a big part of him getting paroled. Um, in 1958, at age 53, he was released. Part of it was he wrote a book. Yeah, he did. Well, in a, with someone else, you know, mm-hmm. someone else helped him write a book. And that was, it was like PR for his parole. Yeah, that plus the malaria plus, you know, being the model inmate. Right. Which I get there are some like, you know, the women that are in murder for um, doing the murders under Manson. Mm-hmm. I, I guess coming out of that haze and being like, what the fuck I did what, where? And becoming model inmates is one thing. Um, so he wanted to be left alone. And uh, he went to Puerto Rico he died at age 66, so 13 years later, of a heart attack. He? Li- okay, so I had to copy this directly from Wikipedia because I couldn't believe he, like, left and lived a normal life. Yeah. So he accepted a position in Puerto Rico as a medical tech. Like, who oversaw that? Like, oh, he just killed a little boy. That's fine. We'll put him in charge of other people's health. Exactly. Um, he moved to Santerce and married a widowed florist. 
She didn't have Google back then. It was 1958. (laughs) She did not have a bestie. (laughs) Uh, He earned a master's degree at the University of Puerto Rico. Really? Then taught classes there. He became a researcher in the social service program of Puerto Rico's Department of Health. He worked for an urban renewal and housing agency. He did research on leprosy at the University of Puerto Rico School of Medicine. He was active in the Natural History Society of Puerto Rico, traveling throughout the island to observe its bird life. In 1963, he published Checklist of Birds of Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. While he spoke of his intention to write a book called titled Reach for a Halo about his life following prison, he never did. I'm sorry, what? Leopold died of diabetes-related heart attack August 29th, 1971 at the age of 66. Bye. Bye, bitch. I can't. Like, I, that floors me that he got to live a fucking mostly normal life. He normal did. and, like, celebrated. Yeah, and fulfilled and, and examined life. Right. Because, I, I mean, I'm against the death penalty myself. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I think that people like this should be unleashed on society in I general. Agree. Yeah. Because some people, I mean, he never hurt anybody again that we know of. But some people, you can't rehabilitate them. No. And I mean, I think I wish in the United States we worked along a model of rehabilitation. We don't. Because we need to, right? Because the recidivism rate is so high. Exactly. And the people that I've worked with who have been in prison are scared shitless. of Like, it is a traumatic experience. They come back with PTSD. And that is the main reason why they are staying out, which is like, good, good. I'm glad you live a life of... It's it's like beating a child. It doesn't breed... It it, it breeds avoidance. It creates avoidance. It doesn't teach you anything it just taught teaches you to avoid something harmful not i should do this because i shouldn't do this because it's a good thing i should not do this because i don't want to get hit again i don't want to be incarcerated again exactly which is uh not an effective way to raise people so it's really not an effective way to treat adults either they're in i think it's norway i saw somewhere Mm -hmm. in scandinavia their prisons are they look like hotel rooms they're lovely they're lovely and they get to do fun activities and stuff like that because it's a rehabilitation model rather than we're just gonna punish you and you know break you down to nothing so that you hopefully don't come back but you know the thing is too is that like you get out of prison and there's so many things that you can't do that put you in a position of desperation where you might resort exactly to where you were before like selling drugs or something like exactly or you committed a non-violent crime where it's really pointless to go to prison because cough marijuana cough exactly or you steal x y and z and putting you in prison is more expensive than whatever it is the hell that you stole and you weren't a criminal until you got out of prison. Which, by the way, if you're ever at a grocery store and you see someone stealing basic necessities, no, you didn't. Mm -hmm. You didn't see it. Especially when eggs are $6 a dozen. No kidding. Anyways, (laughs) that that was my anarchist statement of the day. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Shall we ask the internet to a, a random question? Yes. I do have one for you as well. What was your favorite um, PBS show when you were a kid? Like educational PBS show? Sesame Street, of course. Nice. What about when you were a little bit older? Because we were talking about Wishbone the other day. I did like Wishbone. Because, mm-hmm. let's see. I I wasn't really much of a PBS kid outside of those shows. I really liked, there was a show on TLC back when it was actually the Learning Channel. Yes, and before it was Honey Boo Boo. Professor Iris. Okay. And it was like a puppet and he was a duck and he, he was Professor Iris and he taught you all of the stuff about science. And I That's loved fine. that shit. I liked Liberty's Kids, which was, a, which was a cartoon about the Revolutionary War. 
Oh, I did like that. If you could commit any crime and get away with it, what would it be and why? Bonus points if it's creative and comedic. Hmm. (laughs) That really puts you on the spot. Um, My first thought is murder for some reason. (laughs) I mean, go big or go home. If you're going to if you're going to be able to get away with it. You know, pick some rapist, serial killer asshole and take him out. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Not public urination. That's stupid. I was, I was going to, mine would be Robin Hooding. Like I would steal from the rich to give to the poor. Yeah. Yeah. That too. Um, I don't know. Take down big pharma. I don't know. Hey, during the purge, all crime is legal. Okay. So that means you could like embezzle money, like take money from rich people and give it to poor people and there would be no consequences. Okay. I'm I don't think we out. should have a purge. <laughs> I don't think, no, we're not saying we should have a purge and I, I would not well, murder anybody. concept of it. But yeah, if you could take out a really bad person and I'm also not in favor of the death penalty. What's your favorite true crime case and why does it interest you? Oh, um, I think we've talked about this before, but one of the the first true crime cases that piqued my interest was Jack the Ripper yeah, when I, I was a kid. Yeah, I know. Um, I was friends with you. <laughs> yeah. And that would be because the murders, I think, were so gruesome and just kind of out there in the public yeah. um, that there's like a, a multifold interest to me, which is like, A... Who had the 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 know how to know like a, the anatomy of a human being? Sure. B. Who could get around in essentially the red light district without being noticed with blood on their clothing, all over their clothing? And C. How could we go so many years without figuring out who this person was? Right. Although I do think one of the interesting theories is that it was H. H. Holmes who then came to the United States. H. H. Holmes. During the Chicago World's Fair, built a hotel that had these secret like trapdoors and what tunnels and rooms and stuff like that, so he could go in and murder his guests and then hide the bodies. Okay, yeah, absolute insanity. Um, he was called the the Devil of the White City. There was a a book written about it. Huh. Yes. Do you think he liked it better than Jack the Ripper? He liked what? That nickname better. I don't know. In mine's John A. Ramsey. We know this. Yes. Yeah. First one I ever liked. Yeah, so that was Kate and Leopold, or Loeb and Leopold. <laughs> and Leopold. Yeah, the, the movie really took a turn. Yes. Um, that was an interesting one. We should Google uh, true random true crime episodes and do that, because I enjoyed doing that, and I kind of want to watch Chicago now. Yeah. Chicago, Chicago. Oh, that's Frank Sinatra. <laughs> no, but I was here for it. I did the jazz hands and everything. Um, he had it coming. I like that song. So where can you find us, Kayla? You can find us on Instagram at BiopsychPod and on Facebook at BiopsychoSocial, a podcast. Fuck Twitter. Fuck Elon Musk, but not Elon Ma from TikTok. I love no, that he's guy. very funny. <laughs> uh, he's very funny. You send it to me all the time. We love you. Make good choices. Make good choices. Don't murder people. You are not above the law. No. And then remember, like, we'll have to do a podcast episode about it and it'll be embarrassing for us. And it'll be really, really awkward. Be like, well, this and and then our viewership will go down. (laughs) When we might get questioned by the FBI. Please don't do that. I don't want to get questioned. I have really high anxiety. So do I. Okay. Well, thank you for being considerate. They would have to do it in the bathroom for me. (laughs) (laughs) Put a diaper on you. I mean, yes, I would just need to be on a on a commode. Yeah. Well, anyways, we're going to talk about bowel movements um, off camera now. So bye. Bye. We love you.